This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Thank you, guys. Let's pray together. And so, Father, as we come before you now, remind us who we're coming before, the King of kings, and may we hold you and you alone in just reverential awe. We, we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts right now as we look at your word. And, and in this psalm, which just exalts Christ in such a powerful way, we pray that Jesus would just be lifted up and placarded before our eyes, that we would honor him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, open your Bibles to Psalm number two. Last week, we began a, a new series called Summer in the Psalms, and I preached from Psalm 1 last week. We are not going to cover all 150 Psalms, um, but we are going to look at the first two of them, and then after today, we'll, we'll branch off and, and kind of skip about and do, do some other favorite Psalms. But I, I wanted to do Psalms 1 and 2 because Psalms 1 and 2 are really kind of the entryway into the whole Psalter. And so Psalm 1 is really about uh, God's Word, and Psalm 2 is really about God's Son. It's about the Messiah. This is a, a royal psalm, and it is a messianic psalm about, about Jesus. And so let's look together at Psalm 2. And the title of our message today is, is King of Kings. Psalm 2, if you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word or on your tablet or whatever you're using today, I'm going to be reading from the, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. If you are watching by live stream, I hope you've got your Bible open and just follow along uh, as, you're, as you're, you're, you're viewing today. Why do the nations rage? And the, king, the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and His anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then He speaks to them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son or He will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For His anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in Him are happy. You know, if I were asked, what, what are the things about American Christianity 
at this point in time that concern you the most? I would mention several things, <laughs> but, but one of the things that, that concerns me as I look around at, at the American church today w- would be the, the, the preoccupation that some, that some believers today uh, have with, with politics to, to the point really of, of where it can become an idol. And I say that as somebody who majored in history in college and was even working on a PhD in history before God called me to preach with a heavy concentration in political history. And, and to this day, I love history. I love to read history. I love to read biographies of presidents and things like that. So I am not at all saying that it's wrong to be interested in politics, or even to be engaged and involved in politics. What I am saying is that as believers, there are some cautions that we need to take, lest it bleed over into idolatry. One thing to be careful of is that as, 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 as Christ followers, our thinking, and we talked about our thinking last week in Psalm 1, remember? What, what, what shapes our thinking, shapes our lives. And so as believers, we, we want to be very careful that our thinking, our worldview, our, our stance on issues and things like that, that, that that not be conformed by any political party or by any politician. As people of God, we should think independently about any issue in the light of Scripture. Because the real issue was, what does the Bible teach? That would be one caution. Another caution is that kind of in the way that we talk about these things and, and you know, in the way that, the, and, and kind of the tone that we set, brothers and sisters, we have to be very, very careful that the outside world, that, that non-Christians do not perceive us as people who are seeking earthly power. Because when, when, when non-Christians begin to view the church, when they begin to view Christians as people who are primarily concerned with gaining political power, that is terrible for the gospel. So that's another word of caution. And then a third word of caution would be, do not be, uh, be careful not to be driven by fear. When I hear Christians say things like, oh, you know, if this person uh, doesn't get elected, you know, we're, we're, the church is in, real, is in real trouble, you know, or, you know, we need this man or this woman, you know, this politician to protect us. I want to say time out. Time out. First of all, the early church, the early Christians, who were busy winning the world, the known world to Christ, had no political power. What they did have and what we need more of is spiritual power. And second, the only one that we need to be relying on to protect and bless 
The church is the only one who can. And that is the king of kings. Now that's what Psalm 2 is all about. Psalm 2 is a royal psalm. And ultimately, it's about the ultimate king. It's about Jesus, the king of kings. So what do we see here in the second psalm? I want us to see four four things about it this morning. What do we see here? First of all, rebellion of the pretend rulers. We see that in verses 1 through 3. Rebellion of the pretend rulers. Let's look at verse 1. It begins with a question. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Now, in the immediate context, this is probably talking about kind of pagan rulers plotting against King David. But, 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 but ultimately, they are raging and plotting against God. And it's interesting here that the, the, word, the Hebrew word that's translated as plot is the same word that we looked at last week in Psalm 1 that was translated as meditates. You remember we saw blessed is the person who meditates on God's word day and night. This is the same Hebrew word in Psalm 2 that's translated as plot. Except for these guys are not, they're not meditating on, on God's word. They are meditating and plotting about how they can come against God. How they can prevail against God, which is really Foolish. The, the first word of Psalm 2 is what? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you think that you could ever prevail against God Almighty? That's crazy. Verses 2 and, and, and 3. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. Now, again, in the immediate context, this was people kind of plotting to bring King David or one of the Davidic kings uh, down. But the early church clearly sees this language as ultimately referring to, to Jesus. So, in Acts 4, right after Peter and John had been thrown into jail for preaching the gospel by the authorities when they're released from jail and they go before the church, what do they say? Acts 4, verses 23 and following, after they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David. And now what do they do? They quote Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage? The people plot futile things. The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. And so the early Christians clearly understand Psalm 2 as messianic. And they also understand that any attempt to thwart the progress of the gospel is going to ultimately come to nothing. It will be futile. The gospel cannot be stopped 
and, and persecution only tends to <laughs> end up uh, advancing the cause of the, the gospel. By the way, why do people rebel against God? Why are these guys plotting and rebelling against God anyway? Why do any of us rebel against God? Because we, we think that we're going to find freedom apart from Him. But there is no freedom apart from the King. The only freedom is found in the King. When we do life under His Lordship. So we see here rebellion of the pretend ruler. Second, the reaction of the real ruler. <laughs> Verse 4. Is God troubled by these Plots and schemes against him. Verse 4 says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. <laughs> the Lord ridicules them. I'm reminded of a scene in the, the recent documentary about Michael Jordan, The Last Dance. And there's a, there's a scene in which uh, Michael Jordan is handed an iPad. And uh, it's one of his former competitors. And, he, and this guy is talking about how he could handle Jordan and how he could wear down Jordan and so forth. And Jordan just looks at, it, at the iPad and just, he just leans back and just laughs. It's like, I had no problem with this guy. Listen, is, is the maker of heaven and earth worried and anxious and concerned about these plots and these schemes against him? No. He, he finds them amusing but not for long. Verses 5 and 6. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Now, verse 6 contains two, uh, two uh, first-person uh, pronouns here. I, I have installed my king. In other words, God says, I have done this. And, and notice, the, notice the calm here. You got all these plotters that are raging and they're gnashing their teeth and they're scheming against God. And God just calmly, confidently says, I've done this. Now, there's a message in that because if 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 our God is not troubled, and if he is calm and he is confident, it means that we can be as well. And when we, when we encounter things in our own lives, circumstances, that would tend to stir us up and, and trouble us and tear us apart with anxiety, we need to remember who God is. We need to understand that whatever's happening in our lives may have come as a surprise to us, it was certainly not a surprise to our God. Nor is it difficult for Him to deal with. And you belong to Him. He loves you. He cares about you because you belong to Him. And so if He's not troubled and He's confident, you can be as well. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this. Spurgeon says, we may well be confident since God is. If the captain is assured of victory, the common soldier can also be bravely hopeful. Amen. Third thing that we see in Psalm 2 is God's sovereign decree. God's sovereign decree. Verse 7, I will declare the Lord's decree. 
he said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Now this is not saying that there was a point in time when Jesus was not the son and then he became the son. That's not what it means. He was eternally the son, the father was eternally the father. What, what's, what this is, this is language from the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. So let's look at at the Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 14, and you'll recognize this father-son language here. When your time comes, this is God speaking to David here, when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Now, in the immediate context, this is talking about Solomon. God is talking to David about his son Solomon. But listen, you can see even in the language here in 2 Samuel 7, this has a meaning that goes well beyond Solomon. Because this is a forever throne. This is a forever kingdom. And ultimately, the Davidic covenant is about the ultimate Davidic king. And that was not Solomon. That is Jesus. And clearly, the early believers understood it this way. In Acts 13, when, when Paul is preaching the gospel at Pisidian Antioch, he, he says, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Now this father-son language also echoes a couple of, of, of huge events in the life of Christ. One, his baptism and the other at the Mount of Transfiguration. First of all, at his baptism, Matthew 3, 16 and 17, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting down on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased again in Matthew 17, 5, at the Mount of Transfiguration, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so on both of these occasions, you hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. Now listen to this. If you were in Christ, the Father speaks those words over you. He says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. Why? Because you are united to the son. And God loves you the way that he loves his son because you're united to the son by faith. An incredible thing to think. Verse 8, God says, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Now this stands to reason, right? If Jesus is the heir 
if it's his inheritance, what belongs to the Father? Everything. (laughs) The nations, the ends of the earth, right? It's all given to Jesus as the heir. But listen to this. If you are in Christ, you are also an heir. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This also has huge ramifications for missions as well. Let's go back to verse 8 again. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. And so Jesus is not just the king of one people or one nation. Jesus is the rightful king of every people, of every nation. And our task as believers is to go to every nation, to go to every people group, to go in every tribe and tongue, and to tell them the good news about their rightful king. Some years ago, there was a a Northern Irish Christian band named Blue Tree, and their pastor asked them to go with him on a mission trip to Pattaya, Thailand. Pattaya, Thailand is really kind of a center of sex tourism, of human trafficking, incredibly dark, evil things take place there. And so this mission team was going to the red light district in this city where all these awful things are are happening. Um, And they were trying to figure out how can we creatively bring the good news of King Jesus to this dark place. And so through kind of a series of contacts, they, they were able to to rent this bar right in the middle of the red light district. And for a couple of hours, this, this Christian band was just kind of blaring out songs about Jesus, a, a light in the middle of this darkness. And there were people that were out on the street, and they were, and they were leaning in, and they were listening, and they were like, what are these songs about Jesus being sung in this place? Friends, we want songs about Jesus to be sung in every place. That's the point. Every nation, every people, every city. And that night, as they were singing, the singer just found God just giving him a song. And it's the song that uh, Chris Tomlin made more well-known, God God of this city. You're the God of this city. You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope for the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. For greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. Yes, every city, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Jesus is the rightful king And we want to bring that message to them. Verse 9. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. Now this kind of has kind of a two-sided meaning. Because on the one hand, it's certainly talking about the triumphant return of Christ when evil is going to be judged and smashed forever. But it's also talking about the fact that when we know him as our king, that 
and he, and he is our potter, and we're the clay, He breaks us in love. He, he breaks us in all the right ways, in all the right places. You know, the world throws away broken things, but God never uses anything or anyone until He breaks them. And so this is a breaking that's done in love by the potter. Fourth thing we see here is God's gracious invitation. We see this invitation in verses 10 through 12. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son or He will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For His anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in Him are happy. The psalm began with, with, with people plotting against God, and it ends with God giving these very people, the very people who are plotting against Him, it ends with God giving, extending to them this gracious invitation to come home. Come home. Come home to me. Instead of viewing me as someone who wants to enslave you, I want you to understand that I am your only refuge. And I'm inviting you to come. This is like, this is like Jesus and Judas at the Last Supper. What does Jesus do? He knows that, G, that Judas has been plotting against him. He's well aware of all of it. But what does Jesus do? Jesus dips the, the bread and the wine and he extends it out to Judas extends that invitation to him, come home, come home to me. This is, this is the heart of God. And, he's, and, he, and, he, and he says in verse 12, pay homage to the son or literally kiss the son. There is no honoring the father without honoring his son. John chapter 5 and verses 22 and 23, the father in fact judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And the Father says, if you want to honor me, honor my Son. Pay homage to my Son. Repent and trust in my Son and receive my Son. That's how you honor me. And the result of that is not slavery. It is happiness. The end of verse 12, all who take refuge in him are happy. Why, why are these guys rebelling against God? Why do any of us rebel against God? Because we think that we're going to find more happiness in rebelling against God than in submitting to God. <laughs> but friends, I want to tell you, there is no happiness in running from him. Happiness is found in running to him. And when you begin to view his kingship, not as, some, not as chains that are going to enslave you, when you begin to view him as your only refuge, <laughs> and the only way that you can be set free, that's who God is. And he invites you to come to him and to know him today as your king of love. Let's pray together. Father, we, we pray for everyone who's here today, brought here together by your design and your purpose. We pray for everyone who is watching 
this video again in your purpose brought to, this, to hearing this message at this, at this time, we pray that your spirit would work in lives right now. For, for people who don't know Jesus as their king, their savior, we pray that right now that they would be given the grace by your spirit to see Jesus for who he is. His great love for them his death for their sins on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, that he is ascended and that he is enthroned as king of kings and lord of lords and that right now they would repent and trust in Christ and to know him as their king of love, their, their savior. Lord, right now, would you work in hearts and open hearts to respond to this good news and to understand the rightful kingship and to, and to love and receive him as king, as savior. Father, for those of us who are within the hearing of this message and who are already in Christ, we pray that you would give us love for people and boldness to go forth and to share this message to those around us in our community and to nations throughout the world that praises, joyous praises would resound to King Jesus from every nation, from every city, from every people, from every tribe, from every tongue that the King would receive the glory that is due His name. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, listen, we are so glad that you joined us today, whether here or online. Uh, if there's a need in your life and you're here, uh, I'm going to be outside right after the service. Our other pastors will be as well. We would count it such a privilege uh, to be able to minister to you if you've got questions or if you just want somebody to pray with. Uh, we, we are here for you. Um, if you are watching online and uh, you, you want somebody to talk to, you reach out, you give us a call. Uh, we want to be there for you in every possible way. Um, and also, if you're here and you see people around you, you want to connect with them, that would be awesome. And so in a moment, our ushers are going to come and dismiss you. Great place outside uh, just to connect with others. And as you go today, I want you to go remembering these three words. You are sent by the King on a mission. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. 
Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.